Our first lesson comes to us from the book of Leviticus, a portion of the law God gave to our ancestors in the wilderness, preparing them for life in the promised land. This portion of the law helps us understand what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. Listen to the word of God in Leviticus 19, beginning with verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal and you shall not deal falsely and you shall not lie to one another and you shall not swear falsely by my name profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor, you shall not steal, and you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. And you shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 13th chapter. Just as the book of Leviticus names the ways in which we love our neighbor as ourselves. So also Paul shares his view. Listen to the word of God as it comes to us from Romans 13, beginning with verse eight. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, open our hearts to your love and what you long for from us. Be with us in this time, wherever we are, that your spirit might speak to us this day. And may all God's people say, Amen. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the most frequent phrases in all of scripture. In the two lessons we heard this morning, plus 
three times in Matthew, once in Mark, and again in Galatians, and again in James. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's essential to our faith. But familiar as it is, what does it really look like? Last week, we began to explore it through Dr. Martin Luther King's brilliant unpacking of what he calls the levels of love. Here's a quick review. At the lowest level, he says, is utilitarian love, love that lasts only as long as a person is useful to fulfilling our goals and ambitions. Instead of I and thou, the relationship becomes I and it, or as King so eloquently put it, we thingify people. <laughs> and as soon as someone isn't useful, they're discarded. Next, he says, is romantic love, which is beautiful, but limited to the extent that the other person attracts us. Then there's a mother's love, which is powerful. I can speak to that myself. And a grandmother's love may be even more powerful. But it's conditioned on it being our child and not someone else's. Then, King says, there's the love of friends, which is limited as well to mutual interests or common history. And remarkably, he says, even humanitarian love has its limits because it's easy to love humanity in general, but hard to love the other. Or as Linus says so profoundly in Peanuts, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> now, each of these levels of love has an element of selfishness, King says. None of them reaches the highest level of love, which is agape, that unconditional love that God extends to every person and inspires us to love fully, even when it means being called to love our enemy. Now, these ideas really struck a chord. And next week, Jessica will preach a wonderful sermon on some of the things that we need to clear away to be really free to love our neighbor. But today, today I want to focus on a different aspect of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's a part we don't pay much attention to. Love your neighbor as yourself. What about that little phrase, as yourself? What does it mean to love yourself? And what difference does it make? Well, just as love for our neighbor isn't simple, love for ourselves isn't either. And as Dr. King points out, love isn't just about what we give, but why. What motivates us? So it made me wonder, what are the levels of love's motivation for ourselves. 
Well, at the lowest level of love is what I would call narcissistic love. A person who loves the self in a narcissistic way will never, ever, ever be satisfied. They will always need more, more power, more attention, even more self-pity. Self-love that is narcissistic is like a bottomless pit. It's a black hole that will never, ever be filled. Or maybe better said, it's like a parasite that gnaws at our hearts and consumes the gifts of others. Well, next up is hedonistic love. Now, I have to say, pleasure isn't shameful, whether physical or emotional or artistic. God created us with senses to be awakened and desires to be satisfied. But love for self can't end there. If, if pursuit of pleasure denies the possibility of pain, we end up chasing the next escape. If it denies the possibility of boredom, we end up chasing the next adventure. If it denies the possibility of disappointment, we end up pressing for more or giving up altogether. One psychologist put it this way, Trying to find happiness solely through hedonism leads to a sense of meaninglessness and emptiness. Narcissistic love, hedonistic love, and then I would say self-achievement. Now, self-achievement is a wonderful form of love for the self. And too many people are constrained by the trials of basic survival that they will never have the luxury to pursue their dreams. We cannot take self-achievement for granted. It's a privilege to press ourselves, to perfect our gifts, to reach for a higher purpose in the arts or sciences, in academics or entertainment, or even parenting. Achievement is a great form of self-love. And yet, and yet, it too has its flaws. Writer Emily Esfahani Smith nails it. She says, popular thinking holds that a person who went to Harvard is smarter and better than someone who went to Ohio State. That a father who stays home with his kids is contributing less to society than a man who works at a Fortune 500 company. That a woman with 200 Instagram followers must be less valuable than a woman with 2 million. This notion of success, she says, isn't just elitist and misguided, it actively hurts those who believe it. And Smith's research confirms this. For the many she spoke with who identified self-worth by their achievements, 
She says, when they succeeded, their lives felt meaningful and they were happy. But when they failed or struggled, the only thing that gave their lives value was gone. And so they fell into despair and became convinced that they were worthless. Self-love that depends on our achievement is still conditional love, love that we're always at the risk of losing. So what is the highest form of love for self? Well, what about stoic love? Stoic love, which is strong indeed. The philosopher Epictetus said, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. It has inspired so many for generations. I think of keep calm and carry on, the British slogan in war. One day at a time in 12-step programs. Nevertheless, she persisted when Senator Warren was silenced. Self-love grows when we commit ourselves to take that deep breath, to set down our anxiety or our rage or our distress at our own failure. Self-love frees us to begin again. Stoicism can even free us to devote ourselves to the greater good, which is deeply fulfilling. Many who served in the armed forces know this well, as do those who marched for freedom in Selma or Tiananmen Square, and those who set down their worldly ambitions to advocate for the poor, or press for racial justice, or save the planet. So is Stoic love its highest form of self-love? No. No, and it boils down to this, we're human, we're human. We can never achieve total control. We know that our sacrifice will never be enough and we can simply get tired, tired of controlling our feelings and suppressing our loss, our grief, our tenderness. Georgetown professor Nancy Sherman speaks so poignantly of this in her interviews with soldiers who've returned from what she calls the long current wars. She says, what I heard 
was the wish to let go of the stoic armor. They wanted to feel and process the loss. They wanted to register the complex inner moral landscape of war by finding some measure of empathy with their own emotions. One retired army major put it flatly to me. He said, I've been sucking it up for 25 years and I'm tired of it. For some, like this officer, she says, the war after the war is unrelenting and it's exacerbated by his own sense of shame in not being the stoic warrior he thought he could be and should be. So what does it mean to love ourselves? Narcissistic love doesn't cut it, nor is hedonistic love enough, or self-achievement, or even stoic love. So what in heaven's name does? I've come to believe this. The highest form of self-love is accepting God's love. The highest form of self-love is accepting God's love. Accepting God's unconditional, embracing, overflowing font of love. Why? Because in the brightness of God's light, God sees us just as we are without one plea, with our failures and sins, and God loves us anyway. And in the wideness of God's mercy, God meets us when we've been to the mountaintop or in the valley of the shadow of death or stuck inside the belly of the whale. When we're at the pinnacle of success or the bottom of despair, God meets us there and finds us and claims us once again. In the peace of God's presence, God frees us frees us to admit everything that we are powerless over, everything that's made our lives unmanageable, every enemy we've faced, every barrier we've met. And in the shelter of God's household, in this shelter of God's household, God welcomes us, all of us, the priest and the leper, the scribe and the Samaritan, the Jew and the Gentile, everyone, everyone loved equally by God. Isn't this the hope we have in the gospel? A scripture says that, Elizabeth, you cited in your prayers 
Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. I believe it's only really possible when we know the love of God, when we accept the unceasing love of God. Why? Because it's not just for ourselves. It's in order that we too may love our neighbor. Because when we know the love of God, that when we can forgive the sins and failures of others just as we have been forgiven. And when we know the love of God, we can meet people wherever they are at the pinnacle of success or the depth of failure just as God has sought us out. And, and when we know the love of God, we can extend mercy to those who are broken and sad and lonely and afraid just as God has shared compassion with us. And when we know the love of God, we can welcome everyone. Everyone as God's beloved child. Because in spite of everything, God has welcomed us home. God has welcomed us home. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew the extremism of God's love. So let me close with his words once again. This is what we have before us as Christians. This is what God has left for us. He's left us love. As he loved us, so let us love brother and sister. And I'm convinced this morning that love is the greatest power in all the world. This is our legacy. This is what we have. And may we go on with a love in our hearts that will change us and change the lives of those who surround us. May it be so. May it be so for you this day and evermore. Amen. <laughs>